0: and you can get an extra three months free, expressvpn.com slash slash film. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at slashfilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me, Brad. What's been going on? What have you been doing? Let's jump right into it today.
1: Oh, just just been so busy uh, with all this nonsense that's going on. <laughs> still, I don't know about you, but uh, things have been pretty shitty for the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Real. <laughs> oh
0: man, a laugh riot.
1: Oh, just a, just a great day every day the same. <laughs> uh, no, it's um, I, I I got to do a little bit of uh, traveling recently. Um, I went out to. Uh, Utah to see my girlfriend uh, who's been out there for uh, somewhat of an extended period of time because uh, her parents opened a restaurant last year. And like a lot of businesses uh, in the pandemic, um, they're understaffed and they're just having a lot of trouble, um, you know, making sure that their employees are, are in there and that they have enough people to cover the, the crowds and stuff like that. And it's a real shame because uh, it's, it's a phenomenal restaurant. It's called Pogo's Great Pizza and Chicken. Uh, for those that don't know, my girlfriend is from Zimbabwe. <laughs> Uh, her mom grew up there. Her dad's from the states. Uh, they met in the states, and then they uh, moved to Zimbabwe and stayed there. And that's where my girlfriend was raised, along with all of her brothers and sisters. And they actually opened up this restaurant in Zimbabwe first. So there is a Pogo's Great Pizza and Chicken in Zimbabwe, and they wanted to open up one here in the United States. So they did that last year, and it's it's been going well despite being understaffed. And uh, I was happy to be able to get out there to help them out a little bit, and also finally try the food because I had never gotten a chance to. And so I'll talk about that a little bit later. um, The food itself, but uh, going to Utah was, was nice, especially since we didn't get to do in-person Sundance this year. Uh, So it was nice just to go out there and uh, hang out somewhere else for a week and just spend some time with my girlfriend since she's been out there for about a month now. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And then uh, I also bought a new TV because for the past like year or so, uh, my TV has been a little bit weird because Uh, It's a Samsung, and it's a UHD 4K TV. And this particular model had this issue where, after some time had gone by, these uh, little um, kind of discolored orbs would start popping up uh, due to some issues with the the backlighting mechanism. And so if I'm watching a movie and there's like uh, a very white Background or uh, like just a white color palette, um, these orbs will like look purplish and like it's a very annoying distraction. And sometimes, uh, obviously, the color changes depending on what's happening on screen. But it's starting
0: to get too frustrating. And since so, so the lighting is on the back of the monitor, or are these like uh, pixels that are creating these orbs?
1: No, it's it's apparently something with with the the uh, the back some an issue with the backlight stuff. I I forget what the what the actual. Problem was, but I went and looked this up, and it's an issue that uh, warranties haven't been covering because they say it's a manufacturer's issue uh, <laughs> that it originates with Samsung. But apparently, Samsung wouldn't acknowledge it as a common issue that people were having, even though there are several forums with people like, hey, this is happening with my TV what can I do? And unfortunately, fixing the problem is uh, way too expensive as opposed to buying a new TV. So I decided to buy a new TV, especially since uh, around the time of the Super Bowl is one of the best times to get deals on TV. So I went out there and got a new one, got a little bit bigger, a little bit better, and uh, I'm excited excited to have it relatively soon. It's gonna it doesn't come for a couple of weeks because I'm gonna have them do the install and everything, so I don't have to worry about taking it off the wall and stuff.
0: But. Yeah, what'd you end up getting? So I
1: went with a Vizio. Uh, Vizios have been uh, getting a lot better. Um, but they used to be like mostly like a bargain TV, but their quality uh, for their price has been. Uh, increasing in recent years. They're like one of the top contenders. And in this case, I wasn't looking to spend like an exorbitant amount of money. So I was looking at, um, for my price point, they had some TVs that gotten really good reviews. And so when I went to Best Buy, I talked to the person. I was like, look, this is my budget. This is what's important to me. This feels like a good model. How does it compare to the other ones? And he's like, This is probably like the best one that you'll get for this price point that actually has you know, like the right picture quality and and brightness and stuff that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I'm, I'm hoping it'll work out for me. If not, then
0: I've wasted money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. Let me know once it gets installed, how, how things look. So we'll do. And then uh, this is a little bit of a plug
1: for some work that I did recently. Uh, yesterday was the 30th anniversary of Wayne's World, which makes me feel incredibly old. And uh, because of that, I interviewed director Penelope Spheris about the movie and just looked back at uh, the production, which was actually pretty challenging uh, 30 years ago. And we just uh, talked about different scenes and some of the difficulties that were uh, making this movie and working with Lauren Michaels, the creator of SNL, who obviously produced this movie and all the other Saturday Night Live movies. So feel free to check that out. Uh, Wayne's World is one of my favorite comedies of all time, so it was cool just to be able to, to chat with her about it. Um, have you
0: ever seen the uh, rock and roll documentaries that she made? I have not. Okay, she made I, I want to say it was three movies. Um, let me get make sure I have this right. Uh... I think it might be 4 now. Oh wow, okay. Or or at least
1: maybe she's working on 4. I th- I thought I read about that when I was looking up stuff about her work on Wayne's World.
0: Okay, yeah, 3 exists. So the the decline of western civilization uh part 1, 2 and 3. Um I think I might have only seen the second part, which is subtitled The Metal Years and uh it it's all about like hair metal bands and stuff, which I guess is like, you know, sort of quasi back in the news are on people's minds right now, considering, um, the soundtrack for Peacemaker, which was yeah. a big deal and sort of taps into that, uh, subgenre. But, um, Penelope, Penelope Spears is like a really, really interesting filmmaker. I mean, she, she had a ton of like music video experience and then, yeah. uh, yeah, jumped over to, to make Wayne's world, which is like one of the most beloved comedies of all time. She heard her, her, like, I encourage everybody to just like seek out some of the stuff she's made. She's, um, Yeah, really fascinating figure. So I I think a lot of people probably just know her as like the woman behind Wayne's World. But uh, if you have any interest in like rock and roll at all, those documentaries are are especially uh, fascinating time capsules. So
1: I actually think her experience doing that is actually a a big part of what made Wayne's World work so well because of how much uh, music has a presence in that movie. And just like the kinds of things they were shooting and how they were shooting it, she really knew. Uh, how to bring that together. And plus it allowed her to do stuff like bring meatloaf in for a cameo. And also um, originally they wanted like Aerosmith to do uh, the concert scene, but instead they had to get somebody else. And so they, she was able to call up Alice Cooper because she worked with with him before. So,
0: yeah. And I imagine the um, like the documentary aspect of like, uh, sort of needing to be able to, um, you know, pivot quickly and sort of like go fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing worked really well with like, uh, improvisers and people, you know, comedic forces, like, um, you know, like the, all the folks really working on, on Wayne's world. So uh, yeah, great movie, Wayne's World. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Thirty years old now, <laughs> really wild, crazy. Um, okay, so let's get into what we've been watching. I just watched uh three things really. Um, one, Steven Soderbergh has a new movie on HBO Max called Kimmy, uh, that stars Zoe Kravitz, and it is sort of a, it's like a Rear Window kind of blowout mix, like the the John Travolta movie blowout. So, uh, um, Zoe Kravitz's character plays. This woman who works for like an Amazon-esque company where she uh, analyzes the – every time somebody says, you know, Alexa or Siri, the equivalent of that in this movie is called Kimmy. And so every anytime um, people address their – whatever that's called – smart speaker kind of thing, um, she – analyzes that snippet of audio and tries to improve the algorithm, basically, so they can uh, be more efficient. And then she hears in one of these sessions, what sounds like um, an assault. So she ends up taking it to the company and trying to figure out, you know, like she isolates the the sound and, and sort of confirms her suspicions and takes it to the company and then realizes like, oh, maybe this company actually doesn't want to know Uh, what is actually going on here and it turns into this big sort of conspiracy kind of thriller thing so um, it's a really interesting movie it's it's uh, shot during the pandemic and it sort of feels like it but not in a bad way it just feels to me like my biggest um I guess gripe about the movie is that like it ended and I it felt to me like it was just getting going like it was sort of structurally you know, like right in the middle of the, or right at the start of the second act or something. It's like, you've seen a lot of movies like this before where um, a character discovers a secret and then has to overcome a series of obstacles to sort of blow the lid off the whole thing. And the amount of obstacles that, uh, that Zoe Kravitz's character has to overcome in this movie, it just felt like um, everything was like super well done. Uh, it just felt like I wanted to see more of this in a way that... Um, I guess the biggest thing that I can compare it to, Brad, is like, uh, did you ever see The Born Legacy, the one with Jeremy Renner? Oh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> so I I kind of liked that movie at the time. And my big complaint with it was it just ends like uh, it, it felt like it was super abrupt with the ending. And this is it's kind of I mean, this movie wraps things up a little bit more. Um, I just had a little bit of a flashback to that kind of experience where uh, I just I wanted there to be more of this movie, so I mean I guess that's like a, a backhanded compliment because um, I, I enjoyed what I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but uh, yeah, it's just it sort of felt like a maybe a, a little bit of a truncated thing, possibly because of the pandemic. I'm not sure exactly how much they could do, or um, you know, like um, the White Lotus, the HBO or HBO Max. I don't remember if that's their branding I think it, is I think all it, weird. I think
1: it's but, HBO proper as well. Okay,
0: yeah, their HBO proper show um, that was like generated specifically because of the pandemic and like, you know, here's what we can do where we get everybody safely together at this hotel set and like, you know, just uh, go for it kind of thing. And, and this, I'm not sure if this is a script that uh, David Kep wrote that's been sitting around for a long time, or if he designed it specifically uh, because of the pandemic conditions and they just sort of went out and made it, but it feels very Soderberghian and that it's very like uh, you know, just like sleek and effective. And there's, there's really no, no fat on it at all. So um, it's an how enjoyable f- watch, but how do you yeah. feel about born legacy now? <laughs> uh, I honestly have not rewatched it since 2012. So uh, I, I couldn't tell you, I I think actually I probably look at it a little bit um, uh, more fondly than I did at the time in light of Jason Bourne, the 20, what was that? 2016 movie or whatever that, when that came out, uh, because I was just not a fan of that film. And I was kind of like, disappointed in how regressive i thought that was at the time so i i kind of admired uh even more the swing of the born legacy which is like let's take a step back and show that this world is even bigger than we thought it was and um i I liked the idea of the born legacy on paper a lot so uh yeah, I don't know. It it sounds like you don't really care for that movie very much. I'm trying to no. read between the lines here. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, I was uh man, yeah, I was really disappointed and just bored by Born Legacy and like it's it's one of those things too where not unlike Indiana Jones, I consider the Born identity a trilogy and that is it.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, that that's the thing. Like I I The Born Ultimatum ends so perfectly. Like why on earth would you tempt fate to come back but um yeah, anyway. Okay, so Kimmy is streaming on HBO Max if you want to check that out. Uh, I also had a chance to watch a screening of a movie called No Exit that is coming to Hulu uh, later this month on February 25th. And uh, this is a really, really low budget sort of, um, well, not a really low budget. It's not like Primer or anything where it's filmed for <laughs> $1,000. It's just a, a low key kind of uh, intense little thriller. I, I My first reaction after watching this thing was like, oh, wow, that's a nasty little movie. Um, so the the premise is this college student um, tries to uh, drive through a blizzard to see her mother in the hospital. And she basically, the, the blizzard gets so intense that a, a cop pulls her over and says, you can't take this mountain pass. You have to pull over at this uh, visitor center and sort of shack up until the storm blows over. And uh, this girl... Pulls in, and there's a handful of people there. And while she is uh, wandering out outside in the parking lot trying to get a uh, cell signal, she realizes that there's a uh, a young child, a young girl tied up in the back of a van in the parking lot. So she goes back into the visitor center and realizes that one of these people uh, is responsible for kidnapping this girl. And it's sort of like, it's not quite an Agatha Christie kind of like a mystery kind of thing. It's a little bit more um, of a... Uh, I don't know, like an open-ended thriller than that. Uh, Scott Frank, the the filmmaker who recently made uh, The Queen's Gambit, was originally going to direct this, and he ended up producing it, and this guy named Damian Power stepped in to direct. And I thought he did a really, really good job. And this movie, like I said, it, it has a little bit of a nasty streak to it. It, it gets more uh, intense than I thought it was going to, and there's a couple little fun twists and turns, but um, it has a really solid supporting cast. Uh, Dennis Haysbert, you might know is the, uh, the all state guy, and then uh, Dale Dickey uh, character actress who's been in a, a bunch of stuff, uh, Palm Springs recently. Um, they play a couple who appears in the, in the, uh, the little visitor center and, and yeah, it's just a really, um, yeah, kind of, a. Uh, sneaky, uh, nasty little movie. So uh, I'm not really allowed to say much more about it. The social embargo has lifted, but I think the full reviews are going to be coming out later on. And I'm supposed to speak with several of the cast members later on today. So um, yeah, I just wanted to put it on people's radar because I hadn't really heard of it before, but uh, I think 20th Century Studios made it and it's going to debut Um, on Hulu on February 25th. It's called No Exit.
1: It's such a bummer that so much time has gone by that we have to identify Dennis Haysbert as the Allstate guy. I know.
0: And not not President Palmer from 24. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, man. Uh, Or like, I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. He was in Heat. He was, I mean, he's got like an incredible career. So, Uh, and then lastly, I watched, um, (laughs) I've, I've seen the first few episodes of, Murderville, which is a new comedy series on Netflix. Brad, have you heard of this? This seems like it would be right up your alley.
1: Oh yeah, I'm very excited to watch this. I haven't gotten around to it yet though.
0: Okay, so it's it's basically Will Arnett plays this uh, character named Detective Terry Seattle, who is a, a senior detective, and he uh he sort of he leads the cast of uh, a couple people that you would recognize. Um, People in the, the comedy community, uh, Phil Lamar, Nicole Sullivan, um, Rob Hubell, um, Nina Pedrad, uh, lo- lots of people that you would, faces that you would recognize. And the the premise of the show is that Will Arnett plays this senior detective, and he has partnered up every episode with a new partner. And it is like Conan O'Brien as himself, Marshawn Lynch, the former football player, as himself, uh, Kumail Nanjiani as himself. So they come in and like, they don't know what the... Uh, What the premise of the particular episode is, and each episode they have to solve a murder case. So Will Arnett gets handed a file, basically the equivalent of handed a file. He and and his uh, ragtag partner sort of uh, are presented with um, information, basic information about this murder that happens, and then they go out and interview people on the fly. And Will Arnett is sort of like uh, trying to guide his partners into really absurd comedic um, scenarios. It almost feels like whose line is it anyway, in certain times where the people are clearly improvising and they're clearly trying to make each other break and and sort of uh, play up these heightened scenarios. Um, but the the fun thing about the show, I think is that uh, the information is actually there for you to be able to solve the murder case by the end of the episode. So they really like they interview three suspects, I think in every episode and you learn something throughout those interviews, even though the, uh, the partner doesn't really know exactly what's going on. The, the conversation gets guided in such a way that um, they're actually able to, um, if they're paying close enough attention learn what happened and, or, uh, you know, the predilections of each particular suspect or the fact that the one person might be right-handed and are left-handed and the, the murder was committed by somebody who was left-handed, you know, little things that they can pick up on and you as an audience member can pick up on. So, uh, it's a fun sort of absurd show that you can watch and, and, Get a lot of laughs out of watching these people you know uh break down and and try to uh you know keep a straight face during these heightened scenarios but it's also if you care about like murder mystery kind of stuff um it's a yeah just a fun little way that you can like uh it's almost like a brain teaser kind of things these are like 30 minute episodes are really short um and i think there's only six of them on netflix right now in this first season but uh, i've I've seen the first three and um, yeah they're pretty funny so uh murderville check it out Nice. uh that's it for me what else have you been watching brad uh so i uh, got around to seeing scream
1: better late than never uh just decided to, to hold off because i couldn't catch a press screening and i didn't really want to see it with a bunch of people so i finally caught it um a week ago two weeks ago i don't know time has lost all meaning <laughs> Uh, but man, I, I, I thought it was really good. Um, I, I honestly like all of the screen movies. Um, I know some people have like one or two that they're like, no, this one's the bad one. I think they're all good for different reasons. Um, and this one is, is no exception. It's a lot of fun. Uh, some great meta commentary on on horror. Uh, a lot of great winks and nods for especially, you know, just the kind of analysis we do for horror movies. Uh, fun, fun story. Great new cast. Uh, the way they utilize the, the legacy cast members is done really well. Uh, a lot more brutal kills, which I was surprised by. But, yeah, just a, um, a fantastic sequel. And I'm, I'm glad they're keeping uh, the Scream franchise going because I've always had fun with it.
0: Awesome. Uh, what else have you seen?
1: I've also uh, I watched the uh, newest version of Cinderella uh, that Sony did. It was uh, sent to Amazon last year. It uh, stars uh, uh, Camila Cabello. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so she's a big recording star. She plays Cinderella in this movie. It's a. Uh, it's still set in like you know, uh, sort of a uh, a medieval fantasy period, but it has a very contemporary uh, vernacular and style about it. It has a. It's basically a jukebox musical. It uses uh, modern songs for the the music in it, along with uh, some original stuff here and there from Camila Cabello herself. And uh, it's it's just a lot of bubbly fun. I found myself enjoying it way more than I thought I would. Um, it's you know, I think that you could easily be cynical about it and just regarded as being, uh, you know, just a very uh, silly movie. And like in some ways it is, but I just, I appreciate doing something different like this with Cinderella than seeing, you know, the same kind of fantasy romance tropes uh, over and over again. And if, if anything, maybe I have a little bit of a soft spot for it because it's directed by Kate Cannon, who uh, was behind the the Pitch Perfect franchise. Uh, she's a very funny writer. She also wrote the script for this. And uh, I just really found myself uh, in, enjoying it. The, the cast is pretty fun. It's got Adina Menzel, Pierce Brosnan, Mini Driver, Billy Porter as the fairy godmother. Mudder? God, geez. <laughs> godmother. Um, and it's just a, um, a really enjoyable watch. If, if you have some time, even if it's something that you just kind of throw on in, in the background, the soundtrack is really lively. And I, uh, I found myself just
0: really having a good time with it. Okay. A surprise recommendation for 2021 Cinderella. I think you're the first person I've talked to or heard about that has even seen this movie. So, uh, yeah. Yeah
1: it, de- it de- yeah, it definitely kind of just got shoved to the side and thrown out there as, as a streaming premiere. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's worth checking out.
0: Okay. What else?
1: I watched Cold Mountain for the first time. Have, have you seen this? Have you I seen this?
0: Have, I have not. And I've never read the book that it's based <clears throat> on
1: either. Yeah. So this was, I think the reason that I never really saw this is uh, it came out in 2003 and I didn't really start digging into uh, less like, d- different kinds of movies until uh, my senior year of high school, freshman year of college. 2004 was kind of the time when I really started to, like, my cinematic uh, taste really started changing. And I didn't really care about prestige Oscar dramas like this, and this was definitely a big one in 2003. It has a uh, a huge ensemble cast um, led by Nicole Kidman, Jude Law, and Renee Zellweger, who won an Oscar for her role. Uh, it includes Natalie Portman, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It, it's uh Donald Sutherland just has a great cast, and it's this uh, civil war epic, um, and it is epic in every sense of the word. It's a sprawling story, um, very well acted, it's directed by uh, the late Anthony Miguela, and uh, it's it's very good. It's you know it's exactly the kind of thing you expect from a, a, a prestige Oscar war drama, but uh, it's a, a very compelling story. And, uh, you'll just, as you're watching it, you'll just be like, oh man, this person's in this. Oh wow. This, this person's in this movie. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, so if you've for some reason, uh, never heard of cold mountain, never got around to watching
0: it. I definitely think it's, uh, it's worth checking out. Okay. where did you watch that? Do you know if it's streaming anywhere?
1: Um, that is a good question. Where did I watch? I want to say that it was on Netflix right now. Let me double check. Amazon prime and, and paramount plus. All right, yeah, there we go. Cold Mountain, adding it to my list. There you go. Uh, What else, Brad? And I've also been watching uh, The Tinder Swindler. Uh, You might have heard some buzz about this on the the interwebs, and this is a wild documentary. Uh, I just found myself in complete disbelief that people could be swindled uh, by this guy and that people were willing to give him so much help and the benefit of the doubt just because uh, he was handsome and rich. It just apparently just gets you going places in the world. Um, it's this <laughs> documentary about this guy who his story has been told uh, now around around the Internet, even before this documentary, that he uh, meets these women online and woos them by uh, taking them on these fancy dates, whisking them off in a private jet, these luxury hotels. And then after uh, striking up a relationship with them, suddenly, uh, he needs financial help. Uh, his background that he created is that he's the son of this uh, diamond mogul, essentially. And so he's heir to this, uh, the, the someone who they refer to as like the diamond king. And so uh, he's got all this money, and he, he makes it look like he has it. And then he says like, he gets into trouble where like he has enemies who are after him because of his profile and stuff like that. And so like, all of a sudden he can't use his, his credit cards and he has to lay low. And so he asks these women, most of whom who are, are fairly, some who are fairly well off, um, to, to get, send him money, like thousands of dollars to help him out. And like, he promises to pay them back. And so some of them are just like, because they're wowed by, you know, how much he is like, uh, Shown them this, you know, incredible world where they're dating and they have to do all these expensive, luxurious things mm-hmm. that they trust him, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, sure," you know, because like I, they know he's good for the money apparently, <laughs> and and then uh, once he like you know, quote unquote, pays them back, the checks don't clear, and then you know they have, uh, they've taken out loans to try and help him, and oh, they no. they have credit card debt, and and he, what, what's genius about it is he. He had them create like get new credit cards that he could use in their name, so he has no links to any of this stuff whatsoever. And so, uh, it's it's wild to see all the wrinkles and how he pulled this off, and just like how willing these you know women were to like just be you know driven to this fantasy and then swindled completely out of so much money. And uh, it's it's really an indictment too of like the justice system because you see, uh, you know, just how poorly things. Or handled and how some of these women still have quite a raw deal uh, after dealing with this situation. So uh, Netflix is actually uh, also going to turn this into like a, uh, a a proper feature film, not not a documentary as well. So but uh, if you want to know the story, uh, the Tinder Swindlers on Netflix right now.
0: Okay, and then you also watch Marry Me, which I think HT and I talked about uh, a few days ago. What did you think about this one? Oh,
1: uh, what a stupid, charming, romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is so so silly, but but it really just uh, is is uh, a charming movie. I, I think Jennifer Lopez is like in goddess mode in this movie. She like I mean her her wardrobe is unbelievable, and she just looks like a superstar. Um, and honestly, a great pop soundtrack, some really good original songs in this. Uh, you know, Owen Wilson is, is doing his thing, being, you know, some oh shucks, kind of charming. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I found myself in, enjoying it for the most part. You know, it was uh, an interesting role for for John Bradley to have after Game of Thrones uh, as her, like, music manager. And, yeah, <laughs> there's so many nonsensical things uh, about this movie, like, right from, you know, J. Lo's first performance, you know, as her character, mm-hmm. uh, which is, like, one of the most sacrilegious
0: things ever. <laughs> so that that's the thing brad like the, that that perform describe that performance just a little bit for people who don't know
1: so the song is basically like based around the concept of like going going to, to church and like tying it to like this relation like your relationship and like um like uh it's how, how do I she, She's this?
0: wearing like this uh this outfit that has a cross on it but it's like yeah. super suggestive and like it's, it's know, gold, golden tight.
1: golden and shining yeah and so, and then all of her dancers are nuns wearing equally sparkly outfits but like with like thong unitards and like <laughs> like spark sparkly uh tights and it yeah very suggestive dance moves and it is like, I imagine what they were going for is probably something akin to like Madonna's kind of stuff, but like yeah. it feels so out of sync with like almost everything else that her
0: character does. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was going to say is like that, you know, it almost feels not quite to the level of like pop star uh, Lonely Island esque kind of uh, almost like a parody of what a a modern pop star would be doing. And I was like, oh, that's what this movie is. And and they, they let you just like sit in it. They play the whole song. It's like, you know, you sort of get the gag after like 30 seconds, but it just like keeps playing out. Um and and then nothing else in the movie is like that. Like no no other songs are um are sort of pitched at that level. So I just thought that was a really really strange uh little interlude in the middle or not the middle. I guess it's early on in the movie, but um it's, it's just such a baffling experience, Brad. That's It really movie. is. It really is. But uh, I, you know, I it does it does make me miss
1: uh romantic comedies like that because i i just there there's something about big studio romantic comedies where if you have cast members that have the right chemistry and uh, there's good comedic supporting players like Sarah Silverman is having a lot of fun in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just wish that there was more like this that weren't, you know, just straight to streaming movies.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, this movie is based on a comic, a uh, graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, that
1: was another thing that blew my mind in the credits. I was like, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I didn't know that, but um, I and I have not like sought out the original source material for Marry Me, but uh, yeah, that's out there. So just you know, if you want to go see a, a comic book movie, you can fire up Peacock right now, or uh, go see "Marry Me" in theaters. So yeah, um, and funny
1: enough, I actually did see it in theaters. So okay, all right.
0: <laughs> uh, and then you've been
1: checking out some TV too, some more TV stuff. I have. I there's been stuff that like I was interested in, and then like for whatever reason I. Never took the time, even you know, during the the heart of the pandemic, to watch. So, uh, I watched the first season of Mr. Mayor, which is uh, a new series from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who uh, I love their work on Thirty Rock and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and the unfortunately short-lived uh, Great News as well um, that that Tracy Wigfield worked on. And uh, Mr. Mayor takes place in Los Angeles, follows Ted Danson as a guy who. Uh, suddenly becomes the mayor of L.A., uh, but he's not necessarily super experienced. And it feels like the premise was somewhat inspired by Donald Trump becoming president, but it's not exactly like that kind of show. It's it's um it's political satire, but in that absurd thirty rock kind of way. They're not necessarily trying to like. Make any any statements or you know skewer politics uh, in a very significant way. It's definitely a, a goofier, silly comedy in the same vein of uh, Robert Carlock and Tina Fey's previous work, and it is laugh-out-loud funny. Bobby Moynihan is especially hilarious in this. Uh, it also st- um, uh, stars Holly Hunter, and it's uh, just really, really funny. That's like the the best thing that I can say about it. Is it? It had been a while since I had laugh so hard and consistently and it's you know fast jokes that come you know rapidly and i just uh, i i eat it up
0: so i think there is there only one season of this so far yeah there's
1: one it's one season and then they did a christmas special towards the end of last year
0: okay and that's on peacock is that right
1: yeah you, you can get it on peacock um and then it's uh like if you have like you know youtube tv and stuff like that you can watch it there
0: Gotcha. All right. So that's Mr. Mayor. And then uh, Chad, What is this the Nassim uh, Pedrad show? It is. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's a show on TBS and uh, it stars Nassim Pedrad as a 15 year old Iranian boy uh, coming of age series in high school. And uh, this series is so much more cringy than I was expecting because of how awkward Chad is uh, as a character. He is like a teenage version of Michael Scott.
0: <laughs> it is, oh no! He, he's, he's so
1: <laughs> he's so desperate to be liked and just says the worst things and is trying way too hard. Um, but it is uh, Nasim Pedrad's really funny in the role. I'm I'm not saying that like she's like totally convincing as a 15 year old boy because you still can't help but see Nasim Pedrad in there. But her mannerisms and the way she talks and carries herself, she does a fantastic job at. Um, and so it's it's a great comedic performance, even if you know it's it's hard to not you know see Nassim Pedrad. But I think that some of the comedy that's where that comes from is you know just knowing that it's Nassim Pedrad playing that character. Because mm-hmm. if it was an actual fifteen year old boy, I'm not sure it would be quite um, as funny. But uh, yeah, this I, I really like this a lot. If you if you're not a, a cringe humor kind of person, like if if Michael Scott really grates you and you can't can't deal with it, you might have a hard time with the show. But if not, then dig in uh, because, yeah, it's 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 very funny. And it, it already has a second season as well. So I'm very excited about that.
0: So that's a, that's a TBS show. Do you know if that's it streaming is. anywhere? Is that HBO Max or something?
1: So it looks like uh, it's not in any of the streaming services, but like if you have a c- cable subscription and TBS is one of your channels, then you should be able to watch it uh, on demand like through the app or through your cable service.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So that's called Chad. And then uh, let's get into what you've been eating, Brad. You mentioned uh, you sort of teased it at the top. Yeah, so I finally got to try the food at Pogo's Great Pizza and
1: Chicken. Um, I'm a little biased because this is my girlfriend's parents' restaurant in Provo, Utah. Uh, but I um I'm also can be very picky about restaurant food. Um, and I I have to say, like, this food is truly like incredible. It's um it's uh kind of in that in between fast food and like dine in restaurant. It's it's more of a dine in place. Um, but it's not like super fast food, like drive through food. Um, but the quality is is incredible. Like it's uh, great pizza and chicken. And like that is true to the name They're, that That's their specialties. Um, the chicken that they have is just uh, super juicy. The, the, the skin is um, very flavorful. And they have these incredible sauces that go along with it. They have like peri peri sauce. They have garlic and herb sauce um, lemon and herb sauce. And it's, uh, you get extra sauce for, um, for dipping and whatnot. And, uh, it really is like some of the best, uh, like restaurant chicken that I've had. And same with the pizza, because with the pizza, the, um, the recipe that they have for the crust, uh, blows like all other crusts, uh, out of the water. I I usually find myself whenever I get pizza from somewhere, I usually don't like eating all of the crust. It's like too much bread, but, uh, the, the crust here, it's, it's so flavorful. Um, all the seasoning that they use, there's plentiful toppings and, uh, the sauce, especially I had the, the pizza that I had while I was there was an Alfredo pizza. Uh, and that was absolutely, uh, fantastic. And then, sorry, go ahead, Ben.
0: I was just going to say, I I saw that you posted some pictures of this on your Instagram. So if people want to get like a visual representation of what you're, you're talking about, they can check that out.
1: Yes, indeed. I also also posted it on Twitter too, on my Ethan Anderton, uh, account, but yeah, and they have a, this thing called Pogo's bread. That is, uh, basically their version of like breadsticks, but it blows any pizza places, breadsticks out of the water. Um, They also have this thing called a roasted mealy, which is basically like uh, a piece of corn on the cob that they, it's, it's basically like a lote on a stick, but like with, they have their own special seasoning uh, that they put on it. That makes it stand out a little bit more. And then uh, the, I think the thing to die for though, at Pogo's is this dessert called baked pudding. Uh, It's this gooey cake uh, that has, that it's a, covered in custard and whipped cream and like the cake and the custard, combined. Oh man, uh it's just like it's warm and delicious, not too rich, and it's just yeah, it, it is it is amazing. Like I could eat it every day and never get sick.
0: <laughs> awesome. you have been eating a bunch of other stuff too.
1: Yeah, so uh, when I was in Utah, I um I stumbled upon something that I hadn't seen before because we don't have this brand um here in the Midwest and it's Dairy and they have a special chocolate milk called Old Fashioned Chocolate. And I was very curious to try it because I I love chocolate milk. I love milk in general. Uh, and this is like the kind of like you know thick whole chocolate milk that like you want to get from like uh, a diner, you know, or like for breakfast or something like that. And it was some of the best chocolate milk I have ever gotten from a store around here. Like we have normal stuff like Dean's or uh, Prairie Farms or like the grocery store brands. Uh, and I wish we had Dairy Gold around here because this was this was incredible. So if you're n- near wherever Dairy Gold is sold and you somehow haven't tried it, I wholly recommend it. Okay, uh, I tried a bunch of new coffee creamers because that's my thing now, I guess. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of random uh, flavors that have been hitting shelves, inspired by other things, which is also my jam. And so I recently tried coffee creamers, uh, Twinkie, Golden Grams, uh, Speculoos cookies, and Rice Krispie treats, all different creamer flavors uh, from International Delight and um, Coffee Mate, and uh, I. This is the kind of thing that I love is I, you know, I like different flavored coffees and I love different flavored creamers uh, and each of these was fantastic. It really captures like the taste of those items in like in your coffee and it mixes very well with the coffee flavor and I tried both uh, in warm coffee. And iced coffee, and and both were fantastic. So if you are, you know, a fan of trying different kind of coffee creamers, I would seek these out. They should be like in your normal uh, coffee creamer section at uh, most major grocery stores and stuff. And they are they are very good. The Speculoos cookies one is a Walmart exclusive, because that's their like great value brand one. But the other one. Okay, was I was
0: going to say I've, I've never heard of that brand, and that I guess that explains why, because I don't really do a ton of food shopping at Walmart. But yeah,
1: the Spe- Speculoos is like uh, it's basically the. Um, uh, why am I blanking on the name of the uh, the Biscoff cookie? It's, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So that's basically like that that flavor.
0: Gotcha. All right. So uh, next up, Brad, what is an Oreo cakester? So the
1: uh, Oreo cakester and, and Nutter Butter cakester is a thing that was around
0: a while ago. Did you did you never have this before? I don't think I've ever heard of this. Maybe when you describe it, I'll I'll have a lightning flash of memory. But... Yeah.
1: So it launched in two thousand seven, and it was around for a few years. And it's basically like a a soft cookie sandwich version of the Oreo. It's a much, much thicker um, chocolate soft cookie um, pieces with uh, a much more uh, almost like whipped version of cream in the middle of them. And then the Nutter Butter is the, the same thing. It is a, a, a soft peanut butter cookie with a peanut butter flavored cream in the middle. And so is it like an, like an oatmeal cream
0: pie or something almost?
1: Yeah, but it's the, the cookie itself isn't, uh, it's a little bit more... Spongy, I guess you could say, because mm. the the oatmeal cookie is a little bit more uh, dense, uh, okay. and so and so even though the cake are uh, cookie pieces look thicker, uh, they're they're a little bit softer. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I like these when they were around back in the day and then they disappeared for, for the longest time, but they just came back this year. Uh, and so I found them in stores. They should be also in gas stations, like in individual package and stuff like that. But uh, I definitely miss these. And it was, it was nice to uh, get them back and they, they have the exact same flavors I remember. So that's, that's all that matters.
0: <laughs> all right. So you also tried the Batman calzone and lived to tell the tale. How the hell was this experience? Like? Oh
1: boy. <laughs> Let me tell you, it tastes like vengeance. Uh, uh, and that's ex- exactly what it took out on my digestive system as well. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, In case you haven't heard, the Batman calzone is a special cross-promotional item available at Little Caesars. And so uh, you should already know what kind of pizza you're getting when you go to Little Caesars. And this was no exception. Um, vaguely shaped like a Batman symbol. <laughs> and uh, what, where it folds the pizza to kind of give the impression of bat wings and bat ears uh, is it creates these like calzone pockets that are filled with diced pepperoni uh, and like a garlic cheese sauce. Uh, I will say the the actual calzone part of this was pretty tasty because the the cheese and garlic sauce and the pepperoni itself was different from Little Caesar's usual recipe, especially the pepperoni. It had a little bit of a a kick to it. It was spicier than their their normal pepperoni. Um, So a very greasy pizza, you know, like uh, when you see pictures in their promotional items it obviously looks very clean and very well organized but I, I open my <laughs> box and it looks like a grease crime scene inside the box <laughs> um, so it's you know if, if you're not afraid of that kind of thing and you really just want to get into the Batman spirit sure you know go to Little Caesars and just get, get yourself uh, this, this digestive power bomb <laughs>
0: Okay, and then uh, we typically don't really talk very much about the, the what we've been playing stuff, but you've been listening to a podcast recently that you wanted to highlight.
1: Yeah, so this has been around for a while. I think they started in 2019, uh, and it's been going since then. But I started listening to the Office Ladies podcast, uh, which is a, a recap uh, retrospective podcast hosted by Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, who played Pam and Angela on The Office. So, um, you know, more than just, like, a fan podcast, this really digs into the making of the show. They have guests from the series, from uh, supporting cast members to uh, Greg Daniels, the creator and and writer and executive producer. Uh, They talk to, like, some of the the prop master and just different crew members and uh, provide a lot of really interesting insight into the production, especially when it comes to, like... uh, Stuff that happens with their characters, you really kind of dig into their thought process behind character motivations and details in the, in the story, and uh, just stuff that you normally don't get, even if you watch, you know, behind the scenes featurettes. It's it's a very uh, detailed and, and fun podcast because Jenna and Angela are uh, very good friends outside of the show, pretty much because of the show. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm right now. I'm in. I'm nearing the end of season two, and I think right now they're like on season five or six uh, in the podcast. So I've definitely got a lot of catching up to do. I, I doubt I'll make it before they they reach the end. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I, and when I'm done, I'll, I might go and also listen to uh, Brian Baumgartner, who plays Kevin on The Office, also has uh, his own uh, Office podcast as well. So I might. I was going to
0: ask you about that. I wonder if they have like some sort of rivalry or if it's just <laughs> like, because isn't his, the premise of his like the same thing? It's just an episode by episode kind of thing.
1: So I think Brian's might act more... Um, like an oral history, kind of like a uh, a companion to like uh, the uh, a book that he also wrote yeah. as well. So I don't think it's quite the same thing. But like, even if it is, I think the coolest thing is that since it, it has a completely different actor and he has a completely different, you know, perspective on the show because of what his character's place in it, mm-hmm. that it's probably, you know, equally as interesting. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's the office ladies podcast. Uh, cool. Yeah. I think, um, I'm, I'm going to link to the uh, Wayne's world interview that you did with Penelope Sirius, uh, Brad. And then, um, I think that's all the stuff that we really, uh, really covered here in terms of like stuff that we've written about on slash Home. But um, if I think of anything else, I'll toss those in the, in the show notes as well. But uh, yeah, you can find, That stuff in the show notes, you can go to SlashFilm.com. I encourage everybody always, as always, to do that. Uh, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. You can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Uh, Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.